You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Jesus has been born in a manger. He's now grown up. He has now uh, gone down and been baptized by John the Baptist. And John was that precursor who came ahead of him to prepare the people's hearts, to prepare the way for the Lord. And so Jesus goes down to get baptized and, and God speaks from heaven and says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And the beautiful thing about that is that's your identity and my identity in Christ. See, if you and I just have our identity on our own, it's whatever. But once you and I become in Christ, once you and I begin to adopt that relationship with Jesus, we become co-heirs with Christ, according to the scriptures. And the beautiful thing is then that identity becomes yours and mine, that you were God's son or daughter, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus then went in Luke chapter 4, and he spent 40 days in the desert being tempted by Satan. And he's tempted in all sorts of ways and nonstop for 40 days. And he doesn't eat during that time. And Satan tempts him. And finally, he comes out of that situation. He comes back. He begins to choose some of his friends. And now he's going to get on mission to do what God has called him to do. But he's gone through a time of testing, a time of bringing some friends around him. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4, we'll begin with verse 16, but what you need to write down in your outline before you get there is this idea of entitlement. Entitlement says, I deserve. It says, I deserve. And let me tell you why you need today's sermon. You need today's sermon because your opinions reveal what you expect out of God. Your opinions on issues, your opinions on how you perceive life, they reveal the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart says this, what do I expect from God? And when you and I spout off opinions, they begin to reveal, they're like the tongue becomes a tattletale on the heart. It begins to reveal on the inside what we expect from God. And and we say that a lot of times I deserve, I deserve all sorts of things. We live in a culture that says I deserve in every single way, and all the while your joy dries up. And we find this. This is true of you, it's true of me. The more that I focus on me, the less happy I'll be. That Jesus comes to challenge the expectations and the entitlement of the Jewish people in his own hometown. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 16 Speaking of Jesus, says he went up to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his what? Custom, yes. Jesus went to church every week. Just in case you were wondering, he set the model for us, and so we should do so throughout 2020. He stood up to read, and the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a perfect passive indicative. He's not saying that this is somehow, someday fulfilled. He's saying right here, 
Right now, this has been completed. This Old Testament prophecy today here in church has been completed in your hearing that you're the first observers, you're the first ones to hear about it, that Isaiah's forecasting of the mission of the Messiah has been launched here today in church, is what Jesus is saying to them. It speaks of the fulfillment of the promise of the coming of the kingdom of God, which is now present in Jesus. It's a shocking statement. But the scripture goes on, and Luke 4.22 says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Why? Because Jesus had grown up in Nazareth. They were just looking at him going like, we're just, we regard him as one of us. He understands how we think. He understands what we expect of God. He understands that all of the agenda of our town and our life and what we're here to do and the priority of the Jewish people in their mind above all other people groups, Jesus gets it. He understands. And this means that there was no special place for, them, for him in their hearts. They didn't esteem Jesus. Their attachment to him was familiarity. Their attachment to him was, well, he's just one of us. And I want to mention to you that maybe in your life, Jesus has become comfortable. Maybe in your life, Jesus has become part of who you are and what you do, and you maybe have lost some esteem for him. Maybe you've regarded him as, as familiar and too comfortable. And perhaps God wants in the year 2020 to give you 2020 vision to open up your eyes of your heart to begin to see life and perceive things as he sees them. And he wants to do that in you. But the problem for them is they would only see through one lens, and that was the agenda of the town. In fact, as they were sitting there and listening to him, these people are actually a little ticked off at Jesus. They're a little ticked off at Jesus because he read these verses from Isaiah 61, but he stopped halfway through a verse. How many of you that drives you nuts if someone stops halfway through a verse? Right? You're like, you admit, you gotta, you've got to finish. You like don't have closure. It's like when someone plays a scale on the piano and leaves the last note off. You have to go over there and hit that last note yourself because you just need closure. You can't leave me hanging, right? But they, he had left them hanging because what you don't realize is that in Isaiah 61, what he read was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then there's a statement that says, and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus left that off. He's talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of the Messiah, and he leaves off this phrase that says the day of judgment of our God, the day of vengeance of our God. And so this man, Jesus, Joseph's stepson, really, surely knew the agenda of the town. What was their agenda? Nazareth is located in Galilee, in that region, and the agenda of this town, most of the people who formed the town of Nazareth formed that town as former priests who had been displaced and formed in a town in an area that was largely overrun by some Gentiles. And the agenda of the town of Nazareth was to displace the Gentiles. Let's grow the town. Let's push the Gentiles out. In fact, that's part of our hope for the vengeance of God is that it will be all about us and we push all the others out. Because we, in their mind, were the people of God. And they listened to Jesus intently. They're hoping because maybe this guy who does miracles, Jesus, maybe this miracle worker will finally be the guy to bring the day of vengeance of our God upon all of our neighbors. And they're waiting. 
an expectation for Jesus to do some miracles. They're like, we're so familiar with him, but we've heard he's done great things elsewhere. Maybe he will finally fulfill the agenda of our town. So Jesus gets right to the point. Luke 4, 23, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. I mean, can you just see them for a moment? They're just rubbing their hands together. They're waiting with expectation. They're, they're expecting a miracle. I mean, most of them are thinking, now we're getting somewhere. Come on. Like he started a dialogue with us. We'll forgive him for leaving out that last part of the verse. Then Jesus tells him, verse 24, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. In other words, Elijah, the Jewish prophet, was sent outside the country to Sidon to a widow there. And he said this in verse 27, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So Elisha, this prophet of God, famous prophet, was one who healed not a Jewish person, but a Syrian. And Jesus reveals to them for the first time that God's forgiveness is for all nations, not just the Jews, who feel entitled. They feel entitled by race. They feel entitled by history. And they feel entitled by their religious effort and the relational familiarity they have with Jesus. Their zeal for God's wrath now gets redirected into committing vengeance against Jesus, breaking Deuteronomy 32, 35, which says, vengeance is mine, I will repay declares the Lord. And isn't that what happens? When we think that God doesn't do what we expect him to do, we want to take matters into our own hands, don't we? God, I went through this disappointment, and so you take matters into your own hands. God, life didn't turn out how I wanted, so I don't know if I can trust you, God, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God, you didn't fulfill my agenda, so I'm going to do whatever I can to fulfill the agenda of what I expected you to do, but I didn't seem to get it from you. And that's exactly the thinking of the people of Nazareth. They were saying, we, this is one of our own. This is this miracle worker. It's Jesus. And he left off the agenda of our town, which was the vengeance of our God against the Gentiles. And now he says, God gets sent, even through the prophets, to other people. And in his coming, as prophet, priest, and king of kings, Jesus is saying, my ministry, my agenda, the kingdom of God is for all nations, and they can't see as God sees. So what do they do? They do what only God is supposed to do. They want to carry out a vengeance against Jesus. Luke 4, 28 all the people in the synagogue were furious that when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now let me just play this out. I don't know if you know, but after Christmas, uh, Heather, myself, and our son Zachary went to Nashville. We've been doing a trip uh, with each of our sons over these uh, couple years before they eventually will launch and, and move out. We just wanted to do a trip with one son and both parents before, you know, before it's almost impossible to get family vacations together, right? 
And so Zachary wanted to go to Nashville because there's music in Nashville, and he loves everything music. And so we went there, and, and on New Year's Eve, we were at uh, Keith Urban's rockin' you know, New Year's Eve show with 200,000 friends uh, in Nashville, and we got there early. And so we got there early, and uh, I took my camera because I knew they had fireworks. And so I was like, I want to get pictures of fireworks at, you know, right at, at midnight. And so we took our camera, but they wouldn't let me take my backpack or nice cameras in, you know, for security. So I had to bag check it. So I bag checked my camera outside. We go inside, and we're there at like 5 o'clock. Well, as you know, 5 o'clock till midnight is about seven hours. And we stood about eight rows back from the stage for almost seven hours. And about an hour, uh, about an hour, maybe 45 minutes out, I thought, okay, I got to go. If I'm going to get fireworks pictures, I got to get out of the crowd, 200,000 people. I got to get out and I got to go around and get my bag, I get my camera and get set up, right? So I leave and it was the most incredible thing ever. Like I just turn around and we're like eight rows. So it doesn't seem like it's very many, but you turn around, there's a lot of people back there and you are doing the thing. Everybody's trying to get forward and you're trying to go the other way. Have you ever been in a crowd and you're trying to go upstream? It's horrible. Like, it's all, and I'm pretty extroverted, but like, I'm still going, I'm literally walking like this going, excuse me, excuse me. I have my hands up so they can see me coming and at least maybe like might part the waters. It doesn't really work. I need somebody else there, someone really big to be like, move, you know. And, but I'm like working my way out and it takes me like a half hour at least just to get out of this crowd. And I'm just like, you know, slamming into all these people. At the end, I'm probably being pretty rude. I'm just shoving my way through people, and they're finally just let me through, you know, because and, and they're focused all on what's happening on the stage, and I finally get out. I get over, I get my bag check. I'm able to take pictures of the fireworks, but man, it, it was brutal trying to get out of a crowd. Some of you in this room, you don't have a crowd of 200,000 people, but you got a smaller crowd and that crowd that you're hanging out with doesn't see things as God sees them. And you don't know if you can get out. Because for a long time, you've bought into the opinions of the crowd. You've bought into the lies. You've bought into the peer pressure. You've bought into the political opinions. You've bought into your own opinions that you made on the inside. And sometimes God comes along and says, I want you to get out of the crowd. And let me tell you, I'm the miracle worker. I can show you how to walk through the crowd. I mean, Jesus, for no problem, right? If the guy can walk on water, he doesn't have a problem walking through a crowd, you know? He's like, part of the Red Sea. I can also just be like, and, you know, walk through. So Jesus, a miracle worker, shows the people of Nazareth a miracle, and it's called, you know, the escape plan. He's like, the disappearing act. He's like, I'll just get through the crowd. They didn't throw him down off the cliff, but they sure wanted to. Why? Because they expected God to meet their agenda. And sometimes in your life, in my life, we do the same thing. Let me ask you, who's the crowd that God is asking you to come out from among them? He's not saying reject your friends and leave them forever, but he might be asking you to move yourself from the circle of influence and moving those people out to the circle of acquaintance, that they're your acquaintances, but not the people who are speaking into your life and being your main influencers because they're causing you to see life not as God sees. And they're causing you to do life not as God would have you do life. But it's pretty easy to be in the crowd and not esteem Jesus you're familiar with Jesus. You're comfortable with Jesus. And he might be calling you out of the crowd. He might be challenging this year your opinions and your expectations. And he might be calling you out of 
the crowd. See, you and I get pretty entitled. And when we get titled, we make life all about ourselves. Well, Jesus, number two in your outline, rejects the narrow nationalism of his own community. Christ followers embrace the kingdom of God above national agendas. We embrace the kingdom of God above national agendas. And one of the easiest ways for you or I to get sidelined from participating in the mission that God has called us to is get too attached to national issues, too attached and concerned about what the news says, too attached and uh, opinionated politically, too attached to our own agenda to build the kingdom of me instead of the kingdom of God. And so we're trying to build our nest egg, our wealth, our life, our security instead of the kingdom of God. And perhaps he's calling you out of the crowd. Maybe he's calling you back into the game, back into the mission of the kingdom of God. Are there things that you and I should be concerned about? Are there important issues? Yes, absolutely. But you will find that the closer that you get to God and the more that you spend time in his word, politics and issues start to sort themselves out. Because God helps you and I see things as he sees them. You begin to adopt what is important to God and desire to live out his values above the values of the crowd around you. See, the Jewish people were so bent on the vengeance of God that they missed God's heart for the nations. When Jesus pointed that out, they tried to kill him. They literally missed the coming of the Messiah who would save the world, the Messiah they had hoped for for so long, the one that their hearts deep down underneath their opinions had longed for, that the Messiah has finally come, and they missed him because they couldn't see as God sees. They were too attached to what they expected God to do for them. And what they expected God to do for them was to kick the Gentiles out and make their Jewish community be a forever kind of thing. And God is calling you and I to get on mission with him. See, those who resist entitlement go from demanding help to delivering help. They get on mission and they listen to me. They breathe in grace. They breathe in grace. It's so amazing that the closer we get to God, the less we fight in unfair ways even in our culture. The less we get hung up on the little issues and the more we get hung up on seeing people as God sees them, the less that we go from being unloving because of a difference of opinion to being loving those who have a very different opinion from you because you're gonna love them like Jesus would love them. The closer we get to God, the more you and I breathe in the grace we've received as enemies of God and now the grace that we can give as those who love God people without mistreating them. See, people on God's mission, we don't have time for lame arguments. You don't have time for gossip or jealousies or choosing sides. Those things happen in workplaces. Those things happen in your family situation. Those things happen in divisive issues and political sides. But people who are on mission for the kingdom of God don't have time for that. Here's why. Because when you do that, you're acting worldly. You're just doing what the world does. You're going along with the crowd. And God is calling you out of the crowd because he says, if you're only in the crowd, you've made the crowd your identity. And Jesus says, you're my son or my daughter whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And I want you to be on mission in my kingdom, to be an ambassador for Christ. And so he's calling you and he's calling me to remember our identity. What if if this year you saw yourself 
like God sees you? What if you talked about yourself like God would talk about you to you? What if you put off the negative self-hate? What if you put off the, the disarming I can't and, the, and God would never and I think God's disappointed with me? And what, what if you put all those opinions that you say to yourself and that you kind of feel like God is somehow displeased with you and you simply rest in who he said you are, your son, his son or daughter, whom he loves, with whom he's well-pleased? What if at the end of 2020, you begin to see yourself as God sees you? Wouldn't that change your, how you wake up during the day? Wouldn't that change how you face issues that come across your plate? Wouldn't that face how you feel confidence or motivation in your heart? It might change everything because you will see yourself as God sees you. Kingdom-minded people live from their identity first. And the identity is... I am God's child, I'm his ambassador, I'm a servant. And they volunteer, they serve, they do their part in God's big story. And that's so important for you to understand. God, what have you called me to do in my story as part of your big story? How does my story of my life fit into your big story? These people here say, God, you better fit into our story of our agenda of our life. And when you don't, we try to kill you. We try to get rid of you. And they missed being the kingdom of God, and the people of God. So let's see what Jesus' mission was and continues to be. In Isaiah chapter 61, these are the verses Jesus opened up, rolled out the scroll, and looked at it. And some of you with your Bibles with you are on the back of your outline. It says this, Isaiah 61, he reads verse 1 and following, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It's a life-breathing, life-giving passage because there are people here today who mourn. There are those who are here today who have been grieving. As you looked out over your last year, you're like, God, I would love for 2020 to be a year not of ashes on my head describing mourning, but God, a year of beauty in my life, a year of joy in my life, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair in my life. And God is calling you to say, listen, the way that that happens is you get on mission in the kingdom of God. He's the one who's come to bring that. So listen, those who go from I deserve to I serve find that their joy increases. Rick Warren says, people think happiness comes from getting everything they want. Happiness comes from self-sacrifice. See, in New Year's resolutions, people think, well, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And the question is, how are you going to be rich in sacrifice to God. I don't just mean money. I mean, how are you going to sacrifice? For some, it's the opinions. For some, it's the crowd. For some, it's others saying, God, instead of me putting my agenda on you and expecting you to fulfill it this year, that God, instead, I'm going to make myself available to let the story of me play out into the big story of you. And I want to see as you see in my life, 
even when life is falling apart around me, even when things are not going as I expect, even God, if you don't do this, and for some of you, you're going to say, God, I expect you to repair my family. Some of you are saying, God, I expect you to heal my child. Some of you in this room, you're saying, God, I expect you to bring that right Mr. or Mrs. into my life. Some of you are saying, God, I expect in this year for us to get out of debt. God, I expect in this year, and you've got a lot of expectations. And God's saying, follow me, even if I don't do what you expect me to do. Let me first help you to see as God sees, because then you and I do as God says. That might be your prayer this year. God, help me to see. What do we do? How do we get our hands dirty? We get in and we serve. We find our joy increases. See, ultimately, the people of Nazareth wanted the Messiah to bring the vengeance of God to deliver them as a people. Let me ask you this question. Who bore the vengeance of God? Jesus did. Who took the pain and the guilt and the shame and the suffering on the cross that would free the people of all nations to be the kingdom of God? Jesus did. These people were so convinced that the vengeance of God was going to fall only on the Gentiles and reserve them as some special people that they missed actually seeing the one who would bear the vengeance of God in his own flesh and deliver them from the guilt of their sin and the sacrifices that they were trying to do to earn right standing before God. They missed him because they couldn't see as God sees Hebrews chapter 2, 14 says this, Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Who's the one who bore the vengeance of God to free us from the fear of death? Jesus was. Jesus rejected entitlement. He stretched out his hands to accomplish God's mission, take the vengeance of God so that we deserve, so that we don't have to fear death. So we need to see as God sees so we can see how the story of us fits into the big story of God. What are some practical ways to break entitlement? Let me give you a couple ways to maybe apply what we've talked about this morning. First of all, listen to the Holy Spirit when he's calling you out of the crowd. Listen to God's Holy Spirit when he's calling you out of the crowd. What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to leave behind? What is he calling you to walk away from? Second, take a break from social networking or media and its comparison trap. Your joy may increase. Next, don't be a consumer, but be the church and serve as we launch Church Online later this year. That let God prepare in you what he wants to do so that when we launch Church Online later this year, you're able to say, God, part of my volunteering, part of my story can serve people who are a church without a location. And God may want to disciple you this year and take you through Navigator's 2-7 program. God may want you to join Proverbs 31, ladies, and get involved on Thursday nights here so that you understand in just 12 weeks, think how short that is in the scope of 52, 12 weeks, what your identity is in Christ and how to live as women of wisdom. Why? Because he's going to be able to give you discipleship and set you up to see as God sees, including seeing yourself as God sees you 
and be able to walk into a place where you can serve now out of your identity in Christ. Another way to go ahead this year is to sacrifice something for yourself and give instead. Let me just say that your giving or your lack of giving reveals the condition of your heart. Jesus just says we can't separate. You can't separate your heart when it comes to the issue of money. You either love God or you love money. And, and I just want to suggest to you that maybe one of the ways that you want to increase joy in your life is to honor God with the first of your income. Last, to reach people no one is reaching, you got to do things that no one's doing. And that might mean to choose now to elevate the kingdom of God as your first priority above your political convictions in this election year. You need to pre-decide. Do you know that? You and I would register to be a part of a political party, but you and I need to pre-decide how does a person of the kingdom of God respond to all that will go on in an election year this year? You need to pre-decide. Why? Because it can consume you. The crowd can push in around you. You've got to have your hands up and try to work your way through the crowd because you're saying, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm trying to go upstream when the whole crowd is going this way because how many times have people put their hope for God to do what they expect in politics and Jesus ignored all of it? The Jewish people wanted Jesus to come and kick out the Romans and forever be done with them. Do you know what? He never did. What Jesus did was take our sin and shame upon himself. Forgive us of our sin. In AD 70, after Jesus had been dead, buried, rose to new life, ascended back to heaven, the church had been dispersed and launched around the world, the Romans came through and they basically kicked the Jews out of Israel. And they were dispersed among the nations and they didn't return, listen to me, until 1948. The people couldn't see as God sees. They thought God's going to disperse everybody else. God said, no, actually, because of the hardness of your hearts, I'm going to disperse you, and I will not restore a land for the people of God until 1948. We need to see as God sees and not just go with the crowd. Drink in these truths. God will comfort all who mourn. Are there any mourners here today. God will provide for those who grieve. Any grieving people here today uh, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Have any of you in this room been in despair recently? You will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Are there any oaks in here today? People who are changed, people who are putting down a deep taproot, not like a redwood that's big on the outside, but it has barely any roots on the outside, and a big old strong wind can knock them over. But an oak, one of the hardest trees to cut down, because you are rooted in who you are in Christ. Maybe today you realize that you need a changed mission, a changed life, a better story, an increased joy. For a moment, with just your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to ask, have you ever given yourself to Jesus Christ? Have you ever walked out of the crowd and said, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a son or daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves and with whom he's well pleased. And the way that God does that is he washes your sin away. And the way that he does that is that he asks you and I to believe that he died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried, he rose to new life, and that he is God. And that we say, God, I am choosing to give you my heart. Will you make a new creation 
of me on the inside. There's not a better time to become a new creation than in a new year. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's you today, then you pray a prayer to God. He hears you right where you're seated, just on the inside of your heart. Just pray something like this after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me and wash me as white as snow. Would you make me a new creation, aligned with you in Jesus' name? And if you pray that prayer right now, will you just raise your hand anywhere around the room that you were saying today is the day, right here in the middle, right here in the middle. Awesome, right over here on the side, two hands over there on the side. Anybody else around the room? If you're in the loft, my friends will see you up there. But greatest decision you can ever make Jesus, let me pray for my brothers and sisters in here, those of us who've made that decision. God, sometimes we get away from the decision we made or we put an expectation on you. And so today, let's pray this together, that God, whatever this year holds, would you help me to see as you see and cling to you through it all. God, we want to be people where our story is involved in your big story. We want to be people of increased joy. We thank you and we praise you for what you're doing among us. In Jesus' name and together we said, amen. We give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us. That's good news. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.